0: Alright, so Galatians chapter 5, verses, we're going to start in verse 13. Um, The whole deal so far is freedom from the law. There's people, this is no, you know, for those of you who had not been here in a few weeks, uh, the, uh, the, what? (laughs) The, uh, we've been talking about, freedom from the condemnation of the law and people that have come into the church. Uh, And Galatia trying to... trying to add to the gospel, trying to add, you know, whatever. We talked about circumcision, law Moses, all those kind of things. We already said nobody's going to probably come try to circumcise you or or whatever. But they are going to come and say, you know, Jesus is good, but we need to add, add this deal. Now, the main objection... If you were, if you've been reading in chapter four and five, actually three and four is kind of the doctrinal. Five and six is how it applies to your life. But if we've been reading in chapter five from verse one up until twelve, what we did last week, if you are one of these Judaizer guys, if you're one of these guys who are adding to the cross, adding to uh, uh, what Jesus did, then uh, your objection would be, now wait just a minute, wait just a minute. If you say that we're not under the law, if you say that we're not bound by the law, the condemnation of the law anymore, that kind of gives you, quote unquote, Christians free reign to be just as sinful as you want to, doesn't it? Uh, And that's probably one of the biggest uh, objections that you will hear uh, against people uh, by people who are legalists. You know what a legalist is? We probably hadn't even discussed this since we started Galatians. What's a legalist? Michael, what's a legalist? You know what a legalist is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. A legalist says that you have to obey certain rules in order to have or maintain your salvation. Okay, so a person who says, for instance, there is a group of people. I was going to say in this area, but they're pretty much in every area in America now. But group of people that say that you are not allowed to wear makeup. We talked about that last week, right? Yeah, go we'll figure. Okay, now, is it wrong for a person to say... My conscience just doesn't allow me to wear makeup. I don't think it's right. I can't do it. Is it wrong? No, it's up to them. It's It's perfectly fine. If you think wearing makeup is wrong for you, more power to you. Take a good look in the mirror before you leave the house. Um, But (laughs) what about the person who says, what about the person who says, it's a sin and you will not be right before God if you wear makeup? That's, a lie. That's legalism. Okay? It, it, there You can... Whatever. You know, there's... In this case, the Jewish people would say, if you eat pork, you're not right with God. That's legalism. Now, if a Jewish man says, you know, I just... I can't eat pork. It's against my conscience. I, fine. Knock yourself out. No problem. No problem at all. But once you start making that a factor in your salvation, in your righteousness before God, you become a legalist. You become someone who adds to the gospel of Christ. Michael get the Jennifer. Room. Uh so once you, that's what that's what we're talking about here. Now, if if the, the biggest objection is if you say that we're not under the law anymore, we're free in Christ. We don't have to worry about the condemnation of the law, the dictates of the law. The first thing that's going to pop in your mind is. Well, that means I'm free to do whatever I want to do. I can go and sin as much as I want to sin. I can go and and commit adultery and fornication and murder and strife and envy and malice and just the whole list. I can do whatever I want to do. And if anybody calls me on it, anybody says, whoa, you're not supposed to be doing that. I say, "Oh, I'm free in Christ. I'm not under the law anymore have you ever heard that we're, we're not under the law anymore so we don't we don't worry about that you've heard that before i had a there was one time i was in the i was in the congregation uh there was a preacher that was preaching and uh, this was like at a big conference or something. And uh, he was taking questions. He had just preached a sermon on the deal. And this guy said, uh, he was talking about the evidence of salvation and how in your life you will produce fruit and righteousness in your life and everything. And the guy said, uh, some guy in the crowd asked the question. He asked, aren't you trying to put us back under the law when you say these things and preach this way? And he said, I'll never forget, the preacher said, okay, which one of the Ten Commandments, specifically do you think is oppressive? Like which one of the which one of the Ten Commandments do you want to break? And that's why you're not wanting to be under the law. And that kind of kind of hit it kind of hit the nail right on the head was the the fact that we are not under the law in the sense that we're not condemned by it anymore. We're not uh, under the punishment of it anymore. But it does not mean that we run you know buck wild doing whatever we want to do. You know, sin. You're living in sin. Does that make sense? It's a little confusing the way I've explained it, but Paul's going to explain it a whole lot better than I do. Well, you, you made a point though. it's the moral law as well. I mean, we can't just run around murdering everybody, right? Right. So it's the moral law that guides our conscience as well. So you can't look at it as, oh, I'm breaking the speed limit law. So, right. Well. And well, yeah. And but I think the point is. We, he's going to talk to us about living by the Spirit. That's this, the rest of this chapter is what it's all about. And I put, if you read that outline, I put a thing in there about just a little illustration. The law is like mines in a minefield. Okay, and so you're walking through the minefield and all the time the, the laws, do not do this, do this, don't do that. Don't, they're like mines laid out in the minefield. And if you're walking... Trying not to step on minds. You're always worried about this mind or that mind. You're worried about getting close to this one. You're worried about how far I am. What's going to happen next when I go after I get past this one. Then it's just, it's always, it's always oppression. It's always stress. It's always those things when you're trying to avoid those minds. And living by the Spirit is, this is not a perfect analogy either by the way, but living by the Spirit is, the spirit knows where the minds are and the spirit is walking around the minds and it's guiding you around the minds. So instead of focusing on the minds, instead of focusing on, you know, what happens if I get all I have to do is follow the spirit. And if I follow the spirit, I'm going to go around the minds. If I follow the spirit, I'm going to obey the law. Because the Spirit's going to lead me to love. It's going to lead me to obey the commandments inherently. I won't have to worry about being afraid to keep the law or being afraid to fail or all those things. I just live by the Spirit. And that's what Paul's going to explain. To me. Is there any questions before we get started? No? Okay. Verse 13 says, He says, uh, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. We're free. What are we free from? The law. The law. law. Yeah. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. This is the command. You've been called to liberty, but do not think that you can use your liberty to indulge your flesh. You cannot. True freedom uh, expresses itself not in fleshly lusts and doing what I want to do and living for myself. Freedom in the Spirit expresses itself as I serve my brethren in love. Do you see that in verse 13? It says, For brethren, you've been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love serve who? Serve one another. That's right. It... um, It's it's the evidence, serving one another. It's the evidence of freedom. So what Paul's going to do here is he's going to explain how being free in Christ, being free in the Spirit, and walking after the Spirit automatically curtails our behavior so that we don't indulge the sins of the flesh. Now we're going to see this in a minute, but we'll go ahead and talk about it now. Everything, Every sin that you can commit, I don't care what it is, whether it's pride, envy, malice, strife, sexual sin, uh, whatever. Pick a sin. It doesn't matter. I don't care from one end of the spectrum to the other. Every sin that you can do, you will do, or you do... You're doing. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> every sin that, that takes place is because, in a believer's life, is because you have chosen to walk after the flesh rather than walk after the Spirit. Now the flesh and the Spirit, we're going to see, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but he's going to tell us in a minute that they're always warring against each other. One's trying to get you to do what it wants and the other's trying to get you to do what what it wants. And so, what he's showing us here is that we're free from the law. It says in verse uh, 14, it says, For all the law, it says, don't use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And this is the reason why. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. How does that fulfill all the law? Come on, you all turn murder yourself. Huh? You don't want way to murder you, so you're not going to murder somebody else. If you act in love... You'll fulfill the law. Thou shalt not steal. If you love the person, you won't steal from. Thou shalt not commit murder, like you said. Thou shalt not lie. If you love them, you won't lie. If you act in love, walk in love, live in love for your neighbor, that's nasty. Uh, <laughs> I say he stole my heart, so.
1: yeah, I know that's why he's I said that's, that's nasty. <laughs>
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think it just wow. threw up in my mouth. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, what was I saying? See? Confusion. Confusion. Yeah. What? Oh, nasty. That good. Was it love that I did what? What did I do? What you just did? What did I just do? throwing up in your mouth. Is, is it loving to throw up in my mouth? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on.
1: Alright.
0: So, yeah, feel the love. Um, I, it's, uh, it's playfulness from a loving heart. Yeah. Okay. You <laughs> yourself that. Yes. Um, all the laws filled, fulfilled in love. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself... You will fulfill the law of God according to what he would have you to do for your neighbor. Make sense? That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say he's presenting an argument against the people that are preaching legalism. And he's telling them, that their argument is, Paul, if you continue to preach what you're preaching, then it's going to be chaos. Everybody's going to go do what they want to do. And it's going to be sin rampant everywhere. And it's going to be the moral law thrown out the window. And Paul's saying, no, it won't. And the reason it won't is because there is a spirit that lives inside of us, and that spirit has freed us from the dictates of the flesh. It does not mean that you'll never slip, does not mean that you'll never fall, does not mean that you'll never make a bad decision and choose to follow it, to follow the flesh. But what it does mean is that the flesh no longer dominates your life, no longer has control over you. Before, before the spirit entered you. Uh, it was nothing at all for you to be uh, perfectly at home, uh, treating others, you know, however, indulging in fleshly lusts, pornography, drugs. Well, you, you pay, pay it. I don't care whatever sin that you that you're part of or were part of doesn't matter what it was. It had a hold of you and you couldn't get away. You were slave to it. Whatever your particular bent was, whatever particular sin had you, you couldn't stop. Even if you wanted to, you couldn't stop. But when the Spirit enters, the Spirit indwells you, the Spirit empowers you, the Spirit itself, Himself I should say, goes to war against that thing. And you cannot do what you would. That's what Paul's going to say here in a minute. And so it says... Paul's saying, look, it's not going to be pandemonium. It's not going to be people who are free in Christ, running after whatever they want, running after whatever lust or whatever fleshly thing they want. It won't be that because the Spirit indwells them and it frees them from the law by showing them how to truly love. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Verse 14, we read that. Verse 15 says, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you... That ye be not consumed of one another. That's the one thing those in the Spirit, following the Spirit, walking of the Spirit, don't do. Those two verses kind of go together. It says, the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed of one another it's it, it's showing a picture of of being filled with the spirit living in the spirit and then on the other side just being an animal just being an instinctive you know you live by your instincts you live by your desires you live by your you know if if you you got a dog you know the dog only knows you know, I'm scared. Fight or run. I'm hungry. I'm sleepy. You know, it only it only lives by its instincts. You know, the, whatever that animal thing inside of him says has says do it does. It doesn't have a choice. You can train them. You can you can you know uh, what do you call it. You can. Uh, them to your voice or commands or all kind of things, but but the reality is they're they're just living off of instinct, and so that's what he's saying that we are not doing. We do not live off of that fleshly, lustful instinct that says do this, and we go and do that. The dog is, or the animal itself is, it, it's really a slave to those instincts. Because I don't care how well your dog's trained, you know, if somebody runs around the corner with a chainsaw, it's going to start barking and run off, or it's going to attack. It's going to do whatever the inside, you know, instinctively says, that's what it's going to do. But we don't live that way. We don't have to live that way. Sin does not have dominion over us anymore. We now have a choice. When you were not in the Spirit, when you were not indwelled by the Spirit, you didn't have a choice. When sin called, you came running. And you might say, oh, I can't do that anymore, but you would fall back. You would do it again and again and again and again and again. But now you're free from that. doesn't mean that you won't ever make a dumb decision or that you won't ever sin. We'll see that here in a second. But it does mean that you're free from living under the dominion of it. Okay? Does that make sense? Does any questions? What he's doing here is he's, he's finishing up his case in Galatians by saying, what I've been preaching to you is freedom in Christ, no longer under the condemnation of the law. But that freedom does not mean that you can, that we as believers who are indwelled by the spirit can just run after whatever fleshly desire we want. That is not freedom. That's slavery. Okay. He's going he's gonna to show us that here in a second. Spiritual freedom is, well, verse 15, we'll finish that. Well, we already did that, didn't we? Um, that's really really the key issue that he's saying is, if you think that's freedom, then you're still a slave. Um, I remember getting... yeah, I remember getting getting started doing like drugs and you know whatever and the thing about drugs is especially and I've told you all this before I'm sure um when you first do them it's just all fun it's just woo you know where has this been all my life you know it's just wonderful and then as you continue as you continue the level of pleasure goes down the level of pain goes up and so for a while you after a while. You're not doing them to feel good anymore. You're doing them to keep from feeling bad because without them, I feel awful. And so uh, what happens is uh, I used to I didn't I don't remember ever saying anything like this. But in my mind, I was like, you know, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. I'm free. If I want to do this drug, I'm just free to do it. And I am completely free. I don't have to worry about nobody telling me what this or that or right or wrong or nothing. I'm free to do it. I'm a grown man. I make my own decisions. I'm free. And it wasn't too long after that I realized, no, you're slave. Because I couldn't, couldn't let it go. Couldn't get over it. Couldn't get. I had to have it. Couldn't. And that's the way. That's the way every fleshly lust is. Every not just drugs, not just materialism, not just sexual sins. Not every every lust of the flesh is like that. And we'll see the list of the deeds of the flesh here in a minute. But it's like that. It says you're free. You're free to do. You're free, you can go ahead, whatever, and as soon as you give yourself over to it, you realize, no, you're a slave. You're a slave to it. And so, what he's saying here is, don't use your freedom, your liberty, to indulge the flesh. All you're doing is giving up your liberty, because you're not free anymore if you indulge in those things, if you live after those things. You're a slave. You can't live without it. When it calls you come, when it says go you go, and that's what you do. And it doesn't, doesn't doesn't matter what it is, any desire, any fleshly thing, when you give yourself over to it you become a slave. And so hurrying along verse 16 says "Then this I say to you here's the command here's how to stop it here's what we do to not not live our liberty after the flesh not to use our liberty to indulge the flesh it says walk after the spirit walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh that goes back to the picture that we saw of the minefield you know if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You're not focused on the lust of the flesh. You're not focused on, well, I can't do this today. I can't, you know, I need to step here, not there, I need to watch that. You're not focused on all those things. You're focused on walking in the spirit. You're looking up. As you follow the Spirit, you're not looking down hoping I'm not going to step on a mine. I'm not worried about stepping on mines because I'm following the Spirit and the Spirit knows where the mines are. Does that make sense? Walking in the Spirit is something that I have for a long time. You know, it's easy to say walk in the Spirit, but I, I'm always the kind of person that I want to know how. You know, tell me step one, step two, step three. You know, tell me how to walk in the Spirit. And there's really not any step one, step two, step three. If the Spirit lives inside of you, the Spirit guides you. Day by day, moment by moment, the Spirit, you know the difference between right and wrong. You know what God desires from His people. And uh, when you don't, God uh, will he 'll demonstrate that to you he'll he 'll manifest that in you he 'll teach you all things and so when we follow the spirit it 's a moment by moment deciding to follow the spirit rather than the flesh that 's why I never stood i never understood the concept of rededication i mean even when I was in a church that did rededication I never understood the concept because you know, if I come down and I say, I want to rededicate my life, you know how long that's good for? A second. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's only good for that moment. Because as soon as I turn away, I'm going to have to decide whether I'm going to walk in the flesh or I'm going to walk in the spirit again. I mean, as soon as I take one step to go back to my seat, I'm deciding whether I'm going to walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit And so, I mean, you can rededicate your life all day long, 12 times on Sunday if you want to, but you're still going to have to choose to walk in the flesh or walk in the Spirit. You're still going to have to follow after the Spirit that's inside of you, follow after the Spirit that makes himself known in the Word of God, makes his tenets known in the Word of God. You're still going to have to make a conscious decision to walk in the Spirit. So many people come down and they think, or maybe they don't come down, but they think that, Holiness is something that's going to fall out of the sky and blast them and finally make them what they want to be. And that's not how God grows holiness in his people. It comes from blood, sweat, and tears. It comes from working hard and failing and over and over again picking yourself back up and understanding that you're free in the gospel and and trying to walk again and and messing up again and starting over again. It comes from over and over again walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And so, when you come down, if a person come, if since we're on the subject of the rededication thing, if you come down and say, "Lord, I'm rededicating myself and I'm giving myself to you again," they're expecting, you know, I don't know what's expecting, like angels to come down and whoa, and finally, I am, I am made where I won't fail anymore or sin anymore and then you turn around and you say well I'm glad that got that done and on the way back to your seat you're like man that's an ugly dress that woman's wearing there you go again so now you need to rededicate again see what I mean so it's a conscious over and over if if I were translating this text here I would have written keep on walking in the flesh it's a I mean, I'll spare you the Greek lesson but it's a continuous aspect in the, the verb in this text it's over and over and over and over and over it's a habitual life Continue, 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 continue. Walking, walk in the flesh, and you will not uh, fulfill the lust of the spirit. And this is why you have to do this. You have to consciously walk in the in the spirit, not the flesh, because they're bumping heads all the time. They're at war. If you have the spirit living inside of you, there's a battle raging inside of you. Verse 17 says, "For the flesh." Lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Right now, if you're a believer, you have the same flesh that we all have, but you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you that is contrary, that is that is always fighting against those things. Understand what Paul's saying here. If you live in freedom and you're walking after the Spirit, that does not mean that the lusts of the flesh won't ever pop their heads up and try to take over. It doesn't mean that you won't have to do battle. It doesn't mean that you won't have to fight with temptation. It doesn't mean that you won't have to constantly be on your guard that your own flesh will rise up in you and try to take over. It's a war going on and it's a battle that is going on all the time and you don't have the option not to fight. If you're a believer, before you became a Christian, you were just enslaved to the flesh. There was no war going on whatsoever. You did what you want to do. You didn't care. And if anybody called you on it, you justified yourself. You said, you know what? It's not that bad. Everybody's doing it. This is the way the world is. Blah, 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 blah. You just made sure that, you know, any way I can justify myself, that's what I'm going to do. But once the Spirit of God enters you, it says the law stops that mouth. The mouth can't keep on justifying itself. So there's a war that goes on. There's a war. The Spirit is fighting against the flesh. flesh is fighting against the Spirit. And I love this last little line he says in verse 17. It says, so that you cannot do the things that you would. What that's that's saying is there's no middle ground. You are either at every moment of every day. Listen to me. You are either walking in the flesh... Which is sin, or you're walking in the Spirit. There's no other option. Every step that you take, every thought that you have, every word that you speak, everything that you do is either walking in the flesh or walking in the Spirit. There's no neutral ground. That's one of the biggest myths in the world today is that man is morally neutral. There is no such thing as neutral. There's no such thing as standing still. You're either moving forward or you're moving back. If you stop moving forward, then you started coasting back. There's no such thing as, you know what, I'm just going to do whatever. It's either in the flesh or it's in the spirit. Now, there's lots of things that we can do. I, you know... You kind of get the picture like, well, if I decide that I really like bass fishing and I go bass fishing, that must be... No, you can go bass fishing in the Spirit, so to speak. You see what I mean? God wants you to enjoy the things that He's given you. He wants you to enjoy... Creation. He wants you to enjoy the fruits of the labors of your job, you know. But it can't take the place of God. But it cannot take the place of God. That's right. So I'm not saying that every moment you should have Bible verses written on your forehead and walking around. We, you know, I'm not le- I'm not saying you need to be a nun or a, a priest or something like that, or I don't even know what, what that is. But uh, you know, uh, you can enjoy the things of life. I think it's in the First Timothy says God's given us all these things to enjoy. So the things that you do, riding four wheelers, riding horses, fishing, hunting, well, those are those are things God has given you to enjoy, and you can enjoy them in the spirit. I mean, you can thank God for... I mean, I don't know why somebody would thank God at 3.30 in the morning in a deer stand when it's 10 degrees anyway, but you can thank God for the things that you love and the things that are fun and the thing, you know, I love to fish, and so that's my thing. You can't do it in the winter. I mean, I guess you can, but I don't. So anyway, but the point he's making is you can't do the things that you want. You're either doing what your flesh has got you doing, or you're doing what the spirit has got you doing. You understand? Makes sense. Okay. Uh, verse 18. But if you be led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What does that mean? Kind of goes back to the minefield, doesn't it? What are you gonna say, Doug? Under the condemnation of the law. Un- yes, that's exactly what it is. Under the condemnation of the law. If you are, you don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about. It's almost like categories. Like if I have a category that says, love your neighbor. Under that category, it will tell me how to love my neighbor. It'll say, don't steal, don't kill, don't what, you know. And it'll tell me all those little laws. I have a choice whether I can focus on all those little laws and try to do every single one. Or I can just do the love your neighbor and all that will take care of itself. Does that make sense? See what I'm saying? If you operate in love because the Spirit puts a love in you, you'll love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, or work with it as best you can. You'll love God, and you'll love your neighbor as yourself. All the law. Jesus said all the law and the prophets hang on these two. You fulfill those two things, or you seek after those two things. Focus on those two things, and all that other stuff will take care of itself. You won't have to worry about putting other guys before him. You won't have to worry about keeping the Sabbath holy. You won't have to worry about committing adultery. You won't have to worry about none of that stuff because your two commands that you're seeking after are to love God and to love your neighbor. Okay? So you're not under the law. Against this love, there is no law. That's what it says in verse 18, 19, 18. But the, if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, 18 through, what, 23 are the lists that he gives. And so I'm not going to go through every single one of those. Um, I am going to s- mention just a few uh, because there's a few that, because of the Victorian English, it, you, you may not realize what they're trying to say. Um, of course, adultery, that's no-brainer. You know what adultery is. I'll I'll do witchcraft. Let me go. Let me go in order. Uh, adultery, fornication. There. What's fornication? Sex. That's what fornication is to us. The Greek word is called is pornaya. Does that sound familiar? Pornography. Well, it's it's any sexual sin. It's pornaya. Is where we get the word pornography. It's where we get the word. What else do we? Have? Huh? Shut up. (laughs) That's why I don't call on you, (laughs) Valerie. She said cornucopia. 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 It's not just. You might say, look, since all y'all are married, not all y'all, but some of y'all are married and some of y'all ain't married. You might say, you might say, if I'm married, if you aren't married, you could say, well, I can't commit the sin of adultery. That's not true. If you are married, you you would say, well, I can't commit the sin of fornication. That's not true. Fornication here, the the word means any. (coughs) The words together mean any sexual sin. In your mind, word, thought, deed, any sexual sin is included in these two words. Okay? And so, um, uncleanness, uh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness all have to do with sexual sin. Uh, Las, lasciviousness. La, lasciviousness. What is exactly lasciviousness? Lasciviousness is just. Oh, I've got the definition right here. Well, what's the definition? <laughs> well, your definition. Anywhere in the New Testament, this word is used speaking of people who abandon themselves to vice. These are any immoral acts that are paraded without self-respect or shame. That's right. Immoral acts that are paraded. Paraded. Parade. Yeah, like. Show off. I'm not. I'm not ashamed. I'm doing it. I'm not ashamed. And so what? Let me look. Flashers. Have you seen that? Well, no, right. that's something else. We'll do that after. We've got several verses to go. Yeah, no, I'm not, and I'm not gonna. We're not gonna read each each word because most of these, you, you know, idolatry is no brainer. You know what idolatry is. Uh, the word witchcraft there is uh, is the word pharmakia. Now, does that sound familiar? Pharmacy, pharmacology, pharmaceuticals. Witchcraft. Listen, in the in the early in the early centuries, witchcraft was all about potions and plants and making things that uh, made you feel good. Made you feel good, or supposedly put you under spells or anything. It is it is where we get the word pharmacology, pharmacy, and it has to do with it has to do with uh, uh, indulgences, uh, indulging in substances. Indulging in 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 things of that nature. Witchcraft. Witchcraft. Yeah. Well, if you look in you know, a modern translation, would not translate it witchcraft, but in uh, in those days, witchcraft, yes. Okay. Well, oh, so just to explain that part. Um, what about like parents that won't let their kids watch Harry Potter and stuff like that? Because I'm like, witchcraft is something. Well, and I, that I think that's uh, a matter, of, like huh? I like that. I, did yeah. I don't man. It's not yeah. Whether or not to let your kid watch Harry Potter is not a hill I'm gonna die on. I don't, you know, that's not really, you know, I, I don't like Harry Potter because I thought the movies were kind of dumb. It wasn't because the witchcraft in them, but I watch Lord of the Rings. I watch, you know, sorcery movies and all that kind of stuff. Um, there is a sense. Let me let me make sure you understand. This is not just hey, don't do drugs here in this list. There is a sense that it has to do with the occult, and it has to do with because the word the the word pharmakia was used when they made potions. It was usually in pagan rituals. It was usually in occult things. So there is a sense in which um, we are not supposed to, you know, that some people would say you're not even supposed to go celebrate Halloween, which yesterday was Halloween, you know, and all those kind of things. Um huh? Yeah, witchcraft. That's what it says. Halloween. Halloween is witchcraft. Well, yeah, that's not a hill I'm going to die on either. You know, if we, if we want... If, huh, not, not, wait a minute, hey. My, my is if you can't be consistent, then you better just let it lie. Because hey, if we're gonna start hollering Halloween started as a pagan festival and therefore we shouldn't celebrate it, you best not have no Christmas trees right. in your house. You better not have no Easter bunnies, no Easter eggs. If you if, if you can't be consistent, I mean you can come to me and you can tell me all the stuff about Sam Hain and all that kind of stuff, and that's fine. Uh, but that don't have anything or Sal Wayne, however you want to pronounce it, but that that doesn't have anything to... Y'all know what that is? No, I didn't. That's the original word for Halloween. That was the festival that Halloween came from. Yeah. Anyway, it was pagan, uh, demonic. It was all those things that there's no doubt about that. And I'm not saying nothing about that. But what? I how did, in the world did we even get into it? <laughs> but what I'm saying is... If, if you're saying because that is, because of that history of this day, I shouldn't let my six-year-old dress up like Ella and go get bubblegum from the dude next door. Well, that doesn't sound right, but if I shouldn't let... said the lady next door. Yeah. If, if you want to dress your kid up as Spider-Man and let him go trick-or-treating, I, I just don't have a problem with that. You know, I don't have a problem with that, and I don't freak I out. The key word you've got here is indulgence. You're not going to tell your six-year-old to go dress up, and that be her life. Right. You know, it's, it's the indulgence yeah. of, and that can be for anything, indulgence in drugs, yeah. indulgence in people, whatever. Yeah, and uh, Vanessa, I I spoke one time to a group of teenagers about the dangers of watching movies like Twilight, and for I, I played it out for a long time. They all thought it was... They all thought it was because it had vampires and werewolves and we shouldn't be looking. But that's really not why. It was because it was a false, it story. Was a false love story. And all the girls that grow up watching that mess are going to be out looking for their pasty, effeminate vampire boyfriend. <laughs> and they're gonna, all the real men that try to court them are, are going to be out of the picture because they're looking for this little guy that's supposed to be you know, what love is. Huh? <laughs> Twilight is no so different than Cinderella. Huh? Twilight, they all find their prince. Well, grow up thinking me and her prince. We find out they're toads. That's hey. did she just call you the to toad, man? I got a Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay, moving right along. Okay, so witchcraft hatred variance is strife emulation is the word zealous that's where we get zeal it, it talks about selfish selfish zeal wrath strife seditions heresies envies. all those are pretty self-explanatory wait, wait, like, emulation Oh, emulations. I just said that. The word is zealous. That's the Greek word, zealous. And it talks about, it's not just an excitement like a zeal. It's a selfish zeal. I'm all about me. I'm all about myself. We would call it jealousy. We would call it jealousy. That's right. (coughs) I wrote that in there. Yes, Okay. Anyway, okay. So you can read those. Uh, the, the one thing we need to go. The one thing you need to remember is it says in verse 21, at the end of verse 21, it says. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That also is a present tense verb indicating a habitual practice. If you live your life according to these things, doesn't mean there is not a single person in this room that has not experienced at one time or another, even after you were saved, uh, uh, a hateful thought, or an envious thought, or a jealous thought, or something of that nature. There's no one here that has not done that. That is not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a lifestyle, a, a habitual practice. My life is marked with hatred. My life is marked with envy. My life is marked <coughs> with jealousy, and those things. And so, what he's talking about is those who practice this as a lifestyle. Those who their lives are characterized by these things will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. It does not matter how free they say they are. It does not matter what they think they are. They will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Fruits of the Spirit, you've heard them a million times. I don't need to go through those. I don't have time to do anyway. So let's just read the last three verses. Verse 24, And they that are Christ's, The believers, they have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. That means we don't desire those things. I may fall into them. I may make a mistake and walk after the flesh. I may say something stupid. Yeah, what was it? I I I may do something dumb. Uh, but that's not where my desires are. That's not where my affections are. We've crucified those those affections, those desires. My desire is to serve Christ. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, that's eternal life, spiritual life. He's given us that. Then let us also walk in the Spirit, not being desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. It almost looks like Paul's pointing toward the congregation saying, this is how you live amongst one another. I... Uh, I really wish I would have took less time at the beginning, and so we could go through some of this some more. But uh, we we sure are out of time. I got to go. We got like 10 minutes till service starts. Are there any questions? the The same things that we saw on the list of the lust of the flesh, deeds of the flesh, are what we see in the fruits of the spirit. Uh, it is a habitual lifestyle. You can't say, one time I showed love to my neighbor, so I must have the fruits of the Spirit. No. The fruit of the Spirit are things that characterize your life. You, somebody may take a snapshot of you at one particular moment in your life, and that snapshot will look like, ooh, that guy ain't christ Christian. But if someone takes a movie... Of your life, the real, the whole real of your life, the whole consistent pattern of your living will reveal. That you are a Christian, that what's on inside of your heart. Same thing in reverse. Somebody may take a snapshot of you at church Sunday and say, "Wow, that guy's a Christian." But they take a movie reel of your life and the way that you live, and the way that you act, and the way that you are out of out just outside of the walls of this building, and it will reveal whether you are or are, are not a Christian. It says, "Those that practice these things will not inherit eternal life." And it says, against these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, against these things, there is no law. He said, these things fulfill the law of God. Does that make sense? The point that Paul's making here, he's already told the legalists that they're full of of crap. He's already told them that there is nothing you can add to Christ. There's nothing that can be added to what he did. And now he's proving that those who are in Christ automatically desire and make a practice of fulfilling the law, not because the law is hanging over their head, but because the Spirit lives inside of them. Make sense? All right, who's going to pray? Somebody pray so we can go. Somebody else pray today. Okay. Nobody wants to pray? Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this lesson, Lord, that putting in a heart. Thank you for our team, thank you, Lord. Took the time and an effort to uh, try to explain this stuff.